Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And we are so happy that you're here with us this morning. Excited to see everybody's faces uh, at Airline Baptist Church this morning. If you're a first time visitor or have not been here in a while, take a look in the back of that pew in front of you and fill out that visitor form and drop it in a plate or give it to an usher on the way out. We would appreciate that very much. As you can see, we've been busy this weekend. We have been busy, man. We have we've had a great week. Something I wanted to do real quick because I want I want to see personally with my own eyes. But if you had anything to do with D now, from dropping off some food to being a host home to being a, a small group leader, whatever it was, if you did anything this weekend, will you please stand up for me? Don't be shy. <laughs> Thank y'all so much. It was a blessing. It really was a, a whole church effort to get this thing done. We, we have, we've had a ton of food. We've had such a good time. There's a, there's a couple of people I need to have a special mention of. Quiz, couldn't have done it without you, brother. Really couldn't. We had, we had some small group leader issues <laughs> this weekend. We had some get sick and some issues, some things come up. So Jeter, Jeter, it's your new nickname. Quez stepped up big time, man. I appreciate it so much, uh, brother Zach. Great messages every week, every night, every whenever it was. I just I need to go to sleep, guys. Y'all really? You want me to play drums? You sure? Whew, we might be off beat this morning. Just a wonderful weekend as we focused on the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, this weekend and really see him for who he is and allowing us to live our lives in a way that would honor and glorify him because he is seated on the throne in our life. That's been our focus this weekend. That's the things that we've talked about this weekend. So church has been, has been a great time. Again, if you have helped in any way, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Heather thanks you, and she has done way more. I mean, guys, if yeah, if you if you are if you if you're in ministry, guys, y'all know her wife's is where it's at. We we she enables me to do what God has called me to do more than anything else. She takes care of all the little detailed stuff that I, one, I'm not even going to ever think about, but allows me to, to be with the students, to spend time with them, to make relationships and, and do the things that, that I'm good at. And she does the things that she's good at. So baby, I love you. And I thank you so much. Man, we've had such a good weekend and I know that it's going to continue this morning as we stand and sing here in just a moment. Zach brings another word, his fourth sermon of the weekend. He's, he's going to do it. I know that's going to be a good, a good thing this morning. Let's pray and then let's stand and worship with joy this morning. Father, we love you and we praise you so much for your loving kindness, your goodness. How merciful and graceful you've been to us, Father. God, we thank you for such a wonderful Savior like Jesus Christ that we don't have to worry about 
making all the right decisions and doing all the right things, that the Holy Spirit in us and guides us, and when it's Jesus on the throne in our lives and leading us, we will do the things that we've been commanded to do. We will do the things the right way. So, Father, we, we are just so thankful. This morning I pray for Brother Zach as he preaches again, Father. Give him strength and give him wisdom. Give him the ability to speak your truth this morning from your word. God, let us hear. Give us ears to hear, hearts to listen, minds that are open and awake. God, that we would hear and be changed this morning. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.
Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that we can stand here today with a grateful heart and throw up our hands and just praise you for what you have done this weekend, what you have done in these students' lives, what you have done in these leaders' lives. Lord, we thank you so much for that. Well, these songs are so fitting that we can build our life on a firm foundation that will never leave, that will never fall, that will never turn them back on us. Father, we thank you so much for that. As we go into this time, finish this time of worship, as we go into this message, Lord, have your way. Lord, if one person in this room gets something from it, Lord, you've done enough. And Father, we say thank you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise. And everyone said, amen. Quez and the band for leading us this morning in worship. So excited to see you here today. I know it's a little rainy and a little nasty outside, so glad you're here. And if you're joining us online, we are glad you are joining us there as well. I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 22, Luke 22. Um, just as you're turning there, just, just to recap what Pastor Taylor said about this weekend, we had a fantastic time together and really we focused on the reign of Jesus, that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. And he's King of kings and he wasn't elected to that position. He's King of kings. He wasn't elected and there won't be a recount. He's King of kings. And that's the king that we worship today. So I ask you just as we think through this and just to continue to pray for the students as they leave this week. I shared with them last night, I love D-Now. I've done every single role that you can do in a D-Now. I've, been a, I've participated, I've been a small group leader, I've spoke at D-Now's, I've coordinated D-Now's. We've even been a host home. <laughs> for D-Now before, which was by far the most exhausting experience of all the other ones. But there's one thing I don't like about D-Now, and I shared this with the students last night. No matter how good the D-Now is, the problem with D-Now is that Monday is coming. Monday's coming. And that the success of a D-Now is not what happens on Friday night or Saturday night or Sunday morning. That the success of a D-Now is what happens on Monday. And the Monday after that, and the Monday after that, that's how we measure the success of a D-Now weekend. So students, just as I challenged you last night, Go make much of King Jesus as you go back to school tomorrow. We talked about the throne of your life. 
give him that throne and let him occupy it. Don't be in the tug of war to see who can sit on the throne. It's King Jesus. But church, you and I need to hear the same message as well. We may not be students going through D now, but you and I need to be reminded that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and that he has every right and authority to sit upon the throne of our lives to say, this is where we're going. This is where we're not going. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're not going to do. That you and I need that reminder as well. And so as we look at our text today in Luke 22, talk about Maundy Thursday. Just curious, if, the, if, you're, you're, if you're like me and you've been in, you've gone to dinner somewhere, and maybe it was a nice, fancy restaurant, you got to understand, growing up in Dawson County, our idea of a fancy restaurant was going downtown and going to the pool room. Anybody ever been to the pool room before? Like, put a shirt on and go to the pool room. But I'll never forget, Whitney and I, we, when, when I graduated with my master's, we went down to New Orleans for graduation. We went to this steakhouse in New Orleans. And this steakhouse, back, at, back then, this was the steakhouse that when Drew Brees played for the Saints, every Friday night he would take his offensive line to this steakhouse. So like, this, this isn't Texas, Long, or this isn't Longhorn Steakhouse or Outback. Like this place is swanky. There's a valet out front and you walk in and there's white tablecloths everywhere. And they not only have they have servers and waiters, they had scrapers. Literally, it was this guy with this little metal utensil that when there was crumbs on your tablecloth, he would come by and scrape those crumbs off and not just scrape them on the floor. He had this little cup. He would scrape your crumbs into the cup to take it somewhere else to dispose of it. I'm from Dawson County. We ain't got nothing like that. We used to have a Ruby Tuesday and it's not even there anymore. You talk about being out of your element. They brought the steak out and it was still sizzling on this plate with butter and oil. And you literally, I got mad because I couldn't chew it because it just dissolved in my mouth. Could have drank the steak. That's how tender it was. I had twice baked potatoes and instead of bacon, it was, it was crawfish. It was divine. But we sit down at the table and there's all of these different forks and utensils and I have no idea why anyone needs more than one fork. <laughs> Whitney tried to educate me on etiquette. That's a salad fork. This is this kind of fork. This is this kind of fork. And I'm like, what happens if I just use the same fork for all of them? It gets the job done. But just completely out of my element. 
But just imagine what, what it would be like. Imagine you got an invitation to go dine with a king. What would be running through your mind? That you got an invitation to go dine with a king. What does the etiquette look like? What does one wear to dine with a king? Well, when we come to Maundy Thursday, it's an invitation to come and dine with the king. And not just a simple monarch who has a short reign for a little bit of time in a particular location, but the eternal king. And so just to give you a heads up, we're going to preach on this this week, and then next Sunday we're going to be taking Lord's Supper together. So we're going to talk about it this week, but then next week we're actually going to do it. So just so you can be thinking through next Sunday. But Luke chapter 22, we'll be reading verses 1 through 30. I know this is a pretty hefty section. And also be praying for our students. This is their fourth time listening to me preach in 36 hours. I don't know that I could take that. But Luke 22, starting in verse number 1. Now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priest and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you have entered into a city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you, follow him into the house that he enters. And tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished, prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after the cup, likewise, the cup after they'd eaten saying, this, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the son of man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them, which of them it could be who was going to do this. 
a dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials and I assign to you as my father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you now. God, thank you for the opportunity to worship you and praise you and make much of you. God, thank you for this weekend we've been able to go through. God, thank you for the work that you've done in these students' lives, but also the life of this church as a whole. We praise you for that. And so, God, we pray now as we break open your word that, God, we would see what you have for us. Speak to us today, Lord Jesus. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. So I know 30 verses, this may seem like a lot, but we're going to work our way through it. There's three sections of this text I want us to take notice of as we think about Maundy Thursday. So last week we talked about Palm Sunday, and then there's a few days in there before we get to Maundy Thursday. But Maundy Thursday is really the next day where there's some major events that are taking place. And so first thing I want us to see is the setting of Maundy Thursday. So going back to verse number one, now the feast of unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And so we know what the Passover is. We go all the way back to the book of Exodus and as, as, as they are leaving and preparing to leave Egypt, God commands his people that before they are to leave, the angel of death is going to come. And if their doorposts are covered in the blood of a lamb, this angel of death would pass over their house. And so the children of Israel do that. <laughs> And finally, Pharaoh says, go get out. That's probably what the Hebrew says. Probably not, but he tells them to go. So they go. And so ever since that moment, they would celebrate Passover together and they would have a meal to celebrate Passover. And every single element of this meal pointed to some type, of, uh, some type of symbolism of the events that took place during the Passover. And not only that, they would get together and they would sacrifice a lamb in remembrance of the lamb, the blood of the lamb being applied to the doorpost. And so this festival is coming up which is rather interesting as we approach Good Friday because everything is centered around the blood of a lamb passing over in a sacrifice in which Jesus 
just happens coincidentally to be ending his earthly ministry and approaching the cross. That there's going to be a greater lamb that is sacrificed. That his blood is going to be the one that is poured out for the people. And then we see in the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death. Notice at this point, it's not a question of if they are going to put Jesus to death, but how they're going to put him to death. But they've got a problem. The people are fond of Jesus. He's already had the crowds welcome him in to the city, just like we talked about last week. So the people are fond of Jesus. Jesus is powerful. Jesus is mighty. Jesus can do all of these things for me. And so they like Jesus. But Jesus challenged their authority as the religious elite of the day. And so they're ready to put him to death. It says, then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was a number of the 12. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. Just want you to notice this this morning. I've always wondered, why does Judas betray Jesus? I've always just kind of assumed it was monetary. That he could get some silver for betraying Jesus. But notice in this text, Judas already decides he's going to betray Jesus before money's ever placed on the table. So he's already made up in his mind. He's going to betray Jesus. And so as Jesus is approaching this Passover meal, there's all this stuff going on. There's all this energy in the city. They're preparing for Passover. They're preparing for this feast. And then you have the religious leaders over here who are conspiring about how they're going to kill Jesus. And then one of his very own disciples says, I can help with that. One of the ones who had traveled with Jesus, one of the ones who had seen all the miracles that Jesus had accomplished, one of the ones who had heard Jesus preach all the messages that he preached, and yet all of that was not enough for him to go, I can't betray this guy, this is Jesus. And he gives himself over to Satan to go betray Jesus. So all of that's going on in the background. It says, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. So Jesus, seeking to set this up for his disciples, set this meal up for his disciples, tells Peter and John, go and prepare the Passover meal. And they said to him, where will you have us prepare it? 
This is a pretty valid question, right? Just, just think if we got up here and said, we're going to have this church event. Where are we going to have it? I hadn't thought that far ahead yet. Well, gee, where, where are we going to prepare it? You want us to do this, where are we going to prepare it? And I absolutely love Jesus' response. He said to them, behold, when you, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepare it there. Well, Jesus, where are we going to prepare the Passover meal? You're going to go into the city and you're going to find a dude carrying water. How obscure is that? Now, the reality is it wasn't very obscure because men didn't carry jars of water in Jesus' day. And so the man carrying a jar of water would have stuck out to the disciples right away. But wouldn't it have just been simpler if Jesus would have just gave them the address? Can I just say this? This isn't part of the message. This is just free. That sometimes the commands that Jesus gives us make zero sense in our eyes. The things that Jesus calls us to can make zero sense in our eyes. But hear me, Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. That even here in the disciples, Jesus has already worked all of this out. He just wanted his disciples to see that he knew what he was talking about. That they're going to go find this man carrying a jar of water. And he's going to take you to the room. And so then it says, and they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Isn't it crazy when you just find out that, you know, Jesus was right all along? Anybody have, ever have an experience like that in life? Or maybe God called you to do something? And you said, God, that is crazy. That doesn't make any sense. And then you kind of get into it and you kind of get maybe a few months down the road or a few years down the road and you go, well, Jesus, you were right. Jesus, you, you were spot on in what you commanded and what you called. Here's my experience. Jesus is never wrong. So if his word tells us to do something, if his word commands us to do something, it may not make sense to us, but he's never wrong. And so as we prepare for this Maundy Thursday, this Passover meal, we have all of these things going on. The city is buzzing and there's an energy preparing for Passover. There's the religious leaders who are conspiring as to how they're going to kill Jesus. There's one of his own disciples who's already made up his mind he's going to betray him. And his disciples are going out trying to find a last minute reservation from a man carrying a bucket of water. 
say that's a lot going on, right? But they find it. So we move from the setting of Maundy Thursday to the scene of Maundy Thursday. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and his apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And I absolutely love this. That of everything Jesus has going on in this moment, what does he do? He wants to pull his disciples in for a meal. He wants to pull his disciples in to come and sit at the table with him. It's kind of like in John's gospel post-resurrection when Peter and some of the other disciples have gone back fishing and Jesus just kind of standing at the shore and what does he, he calls them in and he says, come and eat. Like of everything else Jesus could have been doing, the city's buzzing, there's Passover, surely there's people he could have been in the streets preaching to. Surely he could have been working miracles in the city of Jerusalem. And yet what does he do? He pulls his disciples in to this small upper room and says, I want to eat with you. I'm about to suffer. Things are about to get a little hairy. But before that happens, I want to share this meal with you. And he says, for I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Now what is Jesus saying? He's about to not be physically present with his disciples anymore. That this is going to be the last opportunity that he has to physically share a meal with his disciples. And so he wants to share this with them. But hear me, this would not be the last meal he shares with his disciples. Because he says, until the kingdom comes, until the kingdom is fulfilled, that there's coming a day when he will regather with his disciples, with his followers, and share another meal. And here's the reality we're going to be a part of that meal too. And as we celebrate Lord's Supper, we're, we're not celebrating Lord's Supper because he's physically present with us. We, believe, we don't believe it's physically his blood and his body, but he's spiritually present. And that these elements are symbolic of who he is. But there will be a day when we gather around the table with him. And so he invites his disciples and he shares this with them. 
It says, and he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke and gave it, gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That when we gather around the Lord's table, when we gather around the Lord's table next Sunday, we're remembering his body being broken and his blood being poured out and we're remembering what he has accomplished. He says, and likewise, the cup after, after they had eaten saying, this cup is poured out for you. This, cu this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. His blood being poured out to purchase us and redeem us. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. Notice Jesus is actively aware of what's going on. Jesus is not taken aback. Jesus is not surprised by Judas's decision to betray him, but rather he is actively aware. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they begin to question one another, which of them it could be who was going to do this. So they're looking around going, who's, who's it going to be that's going to betray Jesus? And so we see the scene of Maundy Thursday, that Jesus calls his disciples in. He goes, I want to share this meal with you. Not that, but that we're going to, this isn't our last meal. There will be a greater meal that takes place in the future. But there's also someone at the table who's going to betray me. So we see the scene, but in these last few verses, I want us to see the significance of Maundy Thursday. A dispute also arose among them as to, which, as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. This cracks me up every time I read it. Just think about this. Here Jesus is. He's had this intimate moment with his disciples. He's shared the meal with him. He's talked about his body being broken and his blood being poured out. That someone's going to betray him. And they're going, is it, is it me that's going to betray you? Is it you that's going to betray him? And then literally in the span of one verse, they've moved and shifted conversations to, I think, I'm the greatest disciple. You know, Jesus, I think I'm your best follower. You know, Jesus, I no, no, Jesus, you gotta understand, Peter's messed up. I am much better than Peter. You gotta understand, he has his problems. I'm your greatest disciple. And it's crazy to me because they have gone from this intimate time personally with Jesus to having already shifted back to something that's self-centered. But here's the thing, church, if we're not careful, we do the same thing. 
we can gather together for worship. I absolutely loved worship this morning. But if we aren't careful, if our eyes shift away from Jesus and back to ourselves, we'll leave here completely the same as we came in. And we'll begin those arguments of who's the greatest disciple. I'm the greatest disciple. No, I'm the greatest disciple. I am the most spiritual person in Airline Baptist Church. I'm also the most humble person in Airline Baptist. So that's exactly what the disciples did. And if they can do it, rest assured, you and I can do it too. And so they're having this dispute. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority are called benefactors. He goes, you're looking at other kings. If you're arguing about who is the greatest disciple, you don't understand who the king is. He says, their kings do that. Your king doesn't do that. He says, you're looking at the kings of the Gentiles. Notice what he says, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest. What does he mean by that? That even the greatest, not just... Simply that he's talking about the youngest as in purely age, but as the one that you would think would be least likely to serve or have authority. So what is he saying? Even the greatest among you, lower yourself. Lower yourself. Even the greatest among you becomes the youngest. And the leader as the one who serves, that in the kingdom of God, the leader is not identified as being served, but the one who's doing the serving. How in the church, how should we identify leadership? Is it the one who has their hand or is waited on hand and foot by everybody else? Or is leadership the one who opens the door and washes feet. That in the kingdom of God, that is how leadership should be identified. So as the one who serves, for who is greater, the one who reclines at table or one who serves, is it not who reclines at table? What is Jesus appealing to? He's appealing to their cultural understanding that if you were to walk in and you were to see a group dining at a table and they were reclining and they were eating, you would think the one who was greater was the one who was eating and the one who was lesser was the one who was serving everybody else sitting at the table. And we would think the same thing, right? He says, but I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus going, you may have this picture in your head, but look at the picture that I am providing for you. That I am the one who serves. I'm the one who serves. And then he continues and says, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you as my father assigned to me, a kingdom 
Then notice this, this last phrase, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That what is the significance of Maundy Thursday? It's this. That this service is a picture of the kingdom. Lowering ourselves to elevate others is a picture of the kingdom. But not only that, this table is an invitation for his disciples to come and eat at his table. To come to his table. Not their own table. Not the table of their own construction, but his table. So this brings us to our central idea this morning. It's this, Maundy Thursday reminds us of a king who models service and makes room at the table. Maundy Thursday reminds us of a king who models service and makes room at the table. Think about how countercultural this is. Because I ask you, what would it be like if you got the invitation from a king to come and eat in their castle, in their palace, in their mansion, and you show up and the king's not even sitting at the table? He's the one carrying around the trays going, do you need some more food? Do you need some more drink? How crazy would that be? But that's exactly what Jesus does. That King Jesus is the one who serves. King Jesus is the one who does that. He's not being waited on. He's the one waiting on others. But not only that, that Jesus is the king that models service. He's one that makes room at the table. Imagine how crazy it'd be you got the invitation to go dine with a king. And it's just out of the blue. A, you may think it's like a spam email or something. But you show up. And you see that the table is full. And there's no space at the table. And instead of the king going, I don't know who you are, you're a nobody, I need you to get out of here. The king goes, let's go get another chair. Come and sit at this table with me. How mind-blowing would that be for a king to do that? For king to look at you and I and go, come and sit at my table. But church, that's exactly what Jesus does. As the band comes back to the stage, Maundy Thursday reminds us of these two realities. 
first and foremost, that Jesus is a king who models service. And so you and I need to wrestle with the same question. Do we model the same type of service that Jesus modeled? If we're saying Jesus is my king, I follow after King Jesus, do we serve like Jesus served? Like, it's not here in Luke's text, in John's text, before, before we ever even get to the meal, what does Jesus do? He washes his disciples' feet. Imagine how disgusting that was. Hey, I hate feet. Everyone should be in closed-toed shoes at all times. But what does he do? He washes his disciples' feet. You see, it's hard to say I follow King Jesus and make life all about myself. It's hard to say Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my master. Now I need you to serve me. That's hard to say. Why? Because I'm not being consistent with who Jesus actually is. So what does following Jesus look like? It looks like a life of service. It looks like a life of lowering myself to elevate others. That's what following Jesus looks like. If I'm going to follow the king, it's a life of service. So am I following the king like that? So that's question number one, point number one, because that's what Maundy Thursday reminds us of. But point number two is really simple. And question number two is really simple. Are we coming to the table that Jesus prepared for us? Like Jesus prepared the table are we coming and dining at that table regularly? I'm not just talking about gathering together at church for Lord's Supper. I'm talking when you get up in the morning, are you coming to the table? When you go to bed at night, are you coming to the table? In the middle of your afternoon nap, are you coming to the table? Why? Because Jesus prepared it. Are you coming to the table? And that just as he told his disciples, I have desired to have this meal with you. Listen, Jesus desires that you come to his table. And here's the beautiful thing. Clint, I absolutely love this. Look at who who was at the table with him. Because you may be sitting here today and you go, Pastor, I get that. But I've got all of this junk in my life. I've got all this stuff that needs to be cleaned up. I've got all this baggage. I've got all this sin. I've got all this shame. I can't come to the table with Jesus. Look at who Jesus was already sitting with. Literally at the table is Peter. If we would have kept reading a few verses later, Peter's already denying Jesus. And Jesus is well aware of that. Who else is at the table? There's Judas. And Jesus was well aware of what Judas was going to do. And yet what does Jesus do? Jesus still pulled up a table for Judas. There's Thomas. What does Thomas do? Even post-resurrection, Thomas still has his doubts. 
And yet Jesus still invited him to the table. So don't tell me you've got too much baggage to come to the table. Because I guarantee you, you don't have that kind of baggage that Judas had. And Jesus still pulled up a chair to the table. So here's my question. Are you coming to the table? Because we talked last week about this king who's great and mighty and majestic. And we talked all week about this king who reigns supreme. But here's the beautiful thing about the gospel is that he then invites us in. He says, come to my table. So as we close today, I wanna invite you, if you need to come pray, this altar's open. If you need somebody to pray with, Clint and Mike, myself, we're available. But I just wanna invite you to come to the table dine with him. Would you come to the table today? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for today. We praise you. We glorify you. Would you move during our midst as we respond to you? God, help us to come to the table. You invite us to come to the table, to dine and to fellowship with you, that you call us there. You've already prepared our place setting. It's just a matter of whether or not we will come to the table. So God, help us to come today. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand as we respond. So I lower my hands and praise you again and again. Cause all that I have is a hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now I know it's not much. I'm nothing else been for a
service great message we got a lot to be thankful for we've got a guy that pulls up a chair for us as dirty and vile and sinful as we are he still lets us sit at the table and serves us and eats with us y'all go ahead and have a seat just a few announcements real quick Wednesday night we've got prayer service in here at 6 30 um, Sunday we've got conference after right after service Church-wide conference. Um, April the 8th, we've got our um, Easter egg hunt over at the uh, YMCA. Come be a part of that. We still need eggs. Eggs and candy. Go ahead and bring all that to us. And then, of course, that following Sunday, all of our, all of our Easter plans that day with sunrise service and breakfast, Sunday school and service in here that morning. It's going to be a great time to celebrate the risen king. So y'all come, y'all come be a part of that with expecting hearts, expected hearts that God will, will move in our lives and change us and make us more of what he has created us to be with each, each passing moment. All right, church, I love you. Again, thank you so much for your support and your help over this weekend. 
We couldn't do it without you, and we so much love you, and uh, just thankful to be a part of this body of Christ. Amen. Let's pray, and then let's go home. Father, we love you. We praise you. Thank you so much for who you are and what you do. Father, for uh, your presence in our lives, Father, as we studied over the weekend, looking at Matthew 28, you, not only is all authority been given to you, but you are also with us always, all the time. So we give you praise for that. We give you honor for that. And we've cherished that in our hearts and in our lives as we step out of here this morning. Father, we love you. We praise you. We lift up your name. Let us have worshipful hearts and minds and mouths and actions as we go out from this place, go back to work, go back to school, and do the things that, that we do from a, on a daily basis. But let's do it with a heart of worship, looking toward you, doing everything we do as unto the Lord, that you would receive glory and honor. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Love you, church.